Hello and welcome to another episode of Chillin' with Dylan. Today we got an absolutely cracker of a topic and we welcome back again an awesome guest that has p- appeared on the podcast before. Leo, thanks for joining us today. Uh, how are you going today? I'm doing alright. Thanks for inviting me, Dylan. It's good to talk about something more complex than football. Yeah, yeah. This the is getting, going up in complexity, and um, in case you guys are wondering, um, we're we're here at the CWD Studios, uh, which is namely our flat. Uh, so good times ahead. Hopefully, the sound quality is better. Better. I've I've heard a lot of feedback <laughs> from some of you fans. Um, so yeah, trying our best. To improve things but the topic today um it is about the economy which can be summed up in a very short statement that people might have thought to themselves so like what's even happening with the economy these days we've heard so much um in the media from mum and dad from your um you know mates and everyone around you and a lot of people think they're experts, but I hope that we can add our two cents as well to um, all the noise that's happening. Because there's a lot of stuff happening, and it's very crazy times indeed, unprecedented even. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we got Leo along. Um, so uh, what have you um, done or studied or have experienced within this great field of economics, Leo? Well, I think you... Of course, your listeners will know that you and I both did economics together. Yeah. Of course, you're more of a data analyst. I'm more of a political economist. Yeah. As someone that's been involved in public policy for about uh, 200 bit years. Yeah. And of course, uh, I am deeply fascinated by the discipline. And um, I read Bloomberg. I am incessantly following economists such as Larry Summers, uh, Danny Roderick, Stiglitz, and other sort of global and, you could say, well-known American commentators from time Mm -hmm. to time. And, of course, you know, I've published reports on, you know, the the intersections between housing and demography. I've also obviously written an entire report on walking the path to the yeah. next GFC with my um, former colleague, uh, Dr. Bryce Wilkinson. You guys should definitely well. check that one out, by yeah. the way, if yeah. anyone wants to. It's a bit of extra for experts. <laughs> uh, yeah, and a bit of self, you know, advertising and plugging, which we love doing. On, yeah, know, it's we a... All, uh, yeah, like, I, everyone should do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, honestly, I think, yeah, uh, Leo, Leo has a lot of good things to say. Um, yeah, we... I mean, I also studied um, economics um, as a major, uh, my commerce, commerce degree at Auckland University. Um, we didn't actually know each other at the time, unfortunately. Uh, well, you're an engineer. We, so you we, know. We, we hung out in different circles almost. Right. Yeah, I also did engineering. And so I, I can apply that um, other perspective on this kind of field. Um, I've done a little bit of work loosely in this, in the economic space um i used to do a bit of forecasting work um of like labor markets and things like this um and my government job previously when um uh, worked uh worked there so yeah i have a bit of work experience and a bit of study experience and yeah it's good to just combine um a knowledge um today so um without further ado um what's an economy leo what is this what, how does the economy work in a nutshell? Well, there, are, it. Yeah. there are many different definitions. Um, you know, my hero, Thomas Sowell, defines it as, you know, 
it's all about scarcity. When a resource is scarce, um, Greg Mankiw, who wrote the uh, Stage Two Macroeconomics textbook, suggests that actually it's all about just resources. So how do you use a lot, utilize capital and labor, or sorts of uh, resources to make sure you get a return on investment or something like that? So there's a lot of intersection between finance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But to me, I I prefer the former definition by Tom Sol, where it's really about you know. Are resources scarce or yeah. are they abundant? So that's what dictates whether prices yeah. go down or up. And of course, uh, stage one economic students learn about the rule of supply and demand. Yes. And uh, I think you know just by knowing that broad you know graph you know that, yeah. that chart, you'll have a broad understanding in terms of why perhaps prices go up and prices yeah. go down. But there are many variants of markets, of course. Yeah. But you, me, others, you know, small businesses, big corporates, governments, central banks, uh, insurance companies, they're all part of this ecosystem. And mm. the more fascinating thing to me is that it's a, we're part of a global market. Yeah, it's, it's not, not interconnected. A, that's right. It's not an, at, you know, you know, autarkic sort of economy where yeah. we're like, we're not North Korea. Yeah. Back in the day when there was less trade and much less mobility yeah. between countries, then maybe you could have these individual markets operating in themselves. But everything's connected. What happens on the other side of the world, um, which is exactly, yeah. So we're in New Zealand. We're um, recording this. And so whoever's listening in Spain, whatever's happening there at the antipode of the country we're in, it's, it's affecting us and we're affecting you. Yeah, uh, and uh, of course, uh, the Europeans are facing a massive energy crisis uh, due yeah. to, uh, you know, war in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, my personal favorite subdiscipline within economics is actually international political economy, mm-hmm. because politics does a lot of yeah. good and sometimes a lot of bad yeah. in terms of economic determinants. And um, at the end of the day, these are often driven by the politicians yep. that have either been voted in or not voted in, or yeah, you know, um, the leaders of the countries and such. Um, some of these uh, leaders of the country might not be politicians; it could be central bank leaders and governors. Um, so I've heard they often play a big, big role in um, how an economy works. And have you, I hope people have heard a little bit about things like the Reserve Bank in New Zealand, the Reserve Bank, but um, say in other countries, uh, say the US, um, you have the Fed um, and the European Bank over there. Yeah, the European Central Bank, yeah. Yeah, so um, what do you think they do in, in this whole thing? Well, the thing is, you know, uh, I'll just introduce a new topic in relation to this. And of course... There, there are many variants of ideologies in, yeah. in economics as well. Yeah, now, of course. Because people think, you know, this is the thing, right? People think that economics is just like maths or physics or uh, biology. Yeah. Yeah. That you can just simply have like a data analytical uh, skill set. And uh, if you know how to do some stuff with statistics, you yeah. can automatically be an economist. But reality is, uh, you know, there's always an ideology applied to it. Well, that's why it's often in the arts programs of many there universities are, and colleges. Are. You can argue yeah. both ways, even well, though it's quantitative. That's you right. You can be like, yeah, it's just people writing their opinion and putting numbers behind it. And and because everyone's too, um, you know, don't have either don't have enough time or yep. can't understand it, they're just like, well, that's so smart. 
Um, yeah. This is fact. I'll take this particular economist, um, libertarian or con- like you know whatever or view, or, or you know whatever view as a fact as yep. as truth. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. When um, you know we've studied economics, we see it through different lens. Um, there's behavioral economics, for yep, example. Yeah, yeah. There's the um, more empirical versions, and you can actually like it's cool because you can use what you know and critique correct, or correct. agree with um, everyone. So. Just think of your average Joe media commentator yeah, yeah, putting yeah, some yeah. stats on, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, on the news, on an article. Like, that's... You don't just believe all that right away, right? No, you because don't. It's just someone's opinion and it might yeah. not completely cover everything. No, no, but, but it da- data does matter still. It does. A- you you want to put good stuff yeah. out there. A- and to chime it in. So, yeah. you know, like I, I talked a little bit, you know, I was going to talk about Austrian economics. I was going to talk yeah. about Keynesian. But, you know, and back to the topic of central banking, yeah. uh, you know, central banks actually, you know, did not exist prior. Yeah. We used to have like a system called free banking. Yeah. Where basically private you know, you could say, think of like you starting a company and saying you're a bank. Yeah, yeah. And you have this sort of coin, that sort of coin. Yeah. You have this sort of weird metal version. That thingy. sounds like Bitcoin, but like in real life. Yeah, yeah. It, like, it, but it's, know, there was no crypto. central authority <laughs> that said, hey, here's the New Zealand dollar yeah. and this is legal tender. Yeah, yeah. They tried salt. They tried, um, you could say, like. I, I've heard a podcast about seashells. Though. Yeah, they only seashells. used in certain economies yeah. and certain yeah. ages, which is Dur- pretty. During yeah. the Second World War, people were using cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all about how you use commodities commodities as a yeah. way of exchanging goods or yeah. exchanging you know like it's a medium of exchange like a yeah. form of like trading value yeah. basically but central banks um actually sort of became gradually more you could say uh powerful yeah. as a result of political factors yeah. and of course politicians who have control of the access or the supply of money are going to be extremely powerful, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the reason why we have... Now, of course, central banks today have a lot of more credibility. Yeah. They have to be transparent. They release statements openly in yeah. terms of what they're going to do, whether they're going to print more money or and if they're going to hike up interest rates to curb inflation. And in contemporary economics, it's yeah. very important for the central bank to be independent. Yes. One of the key tenets of of this whole thing absolutely i think this is what a lot of people don't get and that's okay if you don't but central banks and governments are completely separate um in theory like they they should have the economy as a whole in mind not the um agenda or like what's what benefits a political party um or not um that's how it should be yeah correct and they have autonomy most of the time yeah, but then, people don't yeah. know much about central banks. It's actually a little bit of a tragedy in my view. Like, yeah. y- you know, if yeah. you just read, for example, in New Zealand, the Reserve Bank of yeah. um, New Zealand's, like, you know, yeah. you could say papers that they release yeah. publicly, yeah. they make it very clear around July 2021 yeah. that they will be increasing interest rates. Now, the yeah. normal Joe will go, what the, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Well, it just means that you going out and going to a bank... Yep. or going out, out to a non-banking entity yep. to try and borrow capital or get a mortgage will be very, very more you know more expensive where you've got to pay you know thousands more dollars to pay off interest. Yeah, and that affects a lot of people. It affects and, everybody. And the amount that actually affects everyone versus how yep. much um, you know people know is actually quite um, disengaged. Like, um, if, if it affects all your household expenses, like, say, if you have a mortgage... You theoretically should just know a lot about this because, um, yeah. yeah, it um, yeah changes a lot. 
about people's lives on the whole and individually as well. So <laughs> central banks are important. Governments are as well. You've touched on that. You know, um, some sometimes, um, yeah, governments can play a big role in building economy. Um, I, I think, um, for example, you always go on about Singapore yeah, um, and what they've done over, you know, decades of building like a nation like that, that started from not much, let's say your, your startup, but, but was, was like a country instead. And they, they're like quite successful That's in right. a lot of economic terms these days. You could call it individual brilliance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, my hero, um, you know, top Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway yeah, yeah. kind of famously described uh, the founding father of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew, as the one, as the uh, Warren Buffett of Singapore. Like kind <laughs> yeah. of used that connotation of saying yeah. he's, he's like the, you know, guy that, you know, kind of like, um, you know, made a very, very um, yeah. extremely successful, uh, you know, uh, investing company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of a, you know, comparing that to developing an entire nation yeah. from bottom up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just to tie in with your points regarding, uh, you know, the, the interconnection between government and central banks, you know, like the reason why government matters, like, for example, uh, in New Zealand is that, um, you know, the Reserve Bank is actually owned by the res- by the New Zealand government. Yeah. Except they have the independent mandate. So the, mm. the government can't go in and tell them you got to do this. Yeah. Like, for example, in the United States, the Federal Reserve is actually private. Yeah. So that each of the 12, you know, Federal Reserve of Dallas, Federal Reserve of New York, all independently coordinate, but they have their own shareholders and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit different, except, yeah. you know, the appointments to the Federal Reserve is indeed by Congress. And so yeah. it's kind of like semi-public, yeah. semi-private. Yeah, it's, it's much more complicated than the US, just like everything, just like pol- politics and things like that in general yep. so but actually the u.s is very important in terms of understanding because everything they do is yeah like as we say like what happens on one side of the world is influenced by another literally everything about their especially their um currency u.s dollar it's the reserve of currency are, of the world uh, everything's tied to it yeah like um it has major impacts on exports imports and yeah just a lot of things um that's why we talk about it a lot I guess. Um, although, yeah, um, places like the Euro and Asia, um, they're becoming a bigger role, um, especially in Asia, having a bigger role in financial markets um, over the years. But yeah, um, there's there's a lot of things going on in an economy. Um, so like, I guess this is just a thing that like, um, to say that when someone says, oh, um, this decision by this company or this political party will do this. Um, it might be true, but there might be two or three other factors that also might also be true balancing each other out. So, you know, um, this thing does not necessarily mean house prices will go up because of it or not. It's, it's probably all, you know, a lot of things happening at the same time. Um, but yeah, uh, so like that's a bit about how, you know, the complexity of the economies of the world works. Um, one of the trends or things that's been talked about a lot and noticed a lot these days is inflation. Um, question a lot of people's minds is why is everything going up in price? Is it just, um, you know, related to the government or is it banks? Are they just trying to make everyone um, run out of money? What's happening? I think my view is um, in line with what Milton Friedman famously said uh, during the 1970s. He said, quote, 
inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So the, for example, the the reason why your groceries, uh, the reason why um, you say just broad consumer goods have all gone up is because, in my view, uh, basically the um, aggressive uh, intervention of the Reserve Bank, the aggressive intervention of the Federal Reserve, um, and, and also the European Central Bank. Yeah. Um, yeah. They basically it's called quantitative easing. If yeah. you use technical terms, yeah. it's actually more of money printing. Um, so yeah. it's not. Print, you they're not get, physically printing no, they're, money. They're digitally yeah. printing, but but they are using that money that they sort of brought into the world yeah. to buy government bonds. Yeah. And another thing is just to mention to the listeners is that governments borrow money. Yeah. They first tax you to get some form of revenue for the government to run their businesses. You know, yeah. pay politicians, <laughs> pay, <laughs> public pay sector, public, sector, public servants, public servants. Um, <laughs> you know, run the machine of government, pass the, You know, all that stuff is yeah. paid off, and you know, your health and superannuation, education, and most cases, all of that is paid for by tax revenue. But yeah. there's a bit of it where you need to borrow from investors, and actually, the central bank sometimes as lender of last resort when yeah. they think that the economy is going so bad can use those programs so they print it and they, they buy it just to give some facts out the reserve bank actually had a nine billion dollar loss as a result mm. of that program yeah. so what they did was the money that they printed to buy government bonds was actually nine billion more expensive mm. than it is that it is now <laughs> and that's due to their own policies yeah now the reserve bank since july decided to you know increase its interest rates now i know this is all complex for the vast majority and, and it is uh, you it know is, when i you know when time. i started uh, you know learning about this i thought wait monetary policy fiscal policy yeah. government what but the, the the core thing is is that you know every decision that adrian or or what the government yeah. does really matters and in t- to tie back to your question in inflation yeah you know it is a monetary phenomenon but mm. The reason why is because if the government spends far too much money, right, mm. they need to pay far more, um, you could say, interest on their debt obligations. Yeah. And at the same time, um, that will hike up demand. So, you know, supply yeah. and demand thing yeah. that I talked yeah. about, yeah. it's really, really putting a lot of demand uh, into the economy. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, not only did they, you know, print a lot of money, they lowered their rates to zero. Yeah. What happens if you're basically giving money out for free? That's people, basically it. So, yeah, essentially, not just, well, people can't borrow at zero, but, but like organizations. Or well, banks, commercial banks. banks. They, can, they can just get free money. Yeah. And if they can make, make a profit on it, yep. then they will lend it out They'll at a higher interest yep. rate for themselves. And, yep. and so, so basically, if you think about, like, let's go analogy again. Yeah. We love this stuff. Uh, <laughs> like, it's like a balloon, right? Like, it's a massive... A bubble. Like, a bubble, balloon, whatever. Like, um, it, you know, like, the lower the interest rates, the more government does sort of, like, um, policies that um, stimulates demand. You know, like, there's a lot of stuff going out. Um and so yeah it's like with balloon that's getting bigger um but like it can also come down and contract um one of the cool concepts is the sort of quantity and velocity and supply of money that equation in economics um yeah so like the more there is floating around then the more people have to use on the same if it's the same amount of stuff um like physical goods or whatever then but more money more money then then more people are going to be fighting with the same number of things um with more money so 
for example, is like if like all the everyone pretty much did it. So not not um, naming names or shaming um, every government. You know, when COVID came, obviously once in a lifetime sort Since of generation event yeah pandemic, pandemic no one knows what to do so you know you're like okay like probably best to give money and that's good um give it to businesses individuals but then the problem is that they haven't been making more stuff they have been sitting at home they've you know less the things have actually been produced bit, so yeah. if you think about that imbalance less stuff more money it's like inflation yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen right away, and, and it we see it. We see it now. We it see it now. It took a bit of time, but the the current trend. Well, actually, there have been a number of experts that have called this. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were few that said, you know, there's a there's a there's a team of economists that you know was is mockingly you know um, coined team transitory. Yeah. That this is going to be transitory inflation. Oh, yeah. it's going to peak at about four percent, three percent. Everything will go be going back to normal. Uh, but when you look at the amount. As in, you know, think of it like a bath water, right? I mean, you know, bathtub, right? Yeah. The idea is that, you know, you, okay, you look at the nominal GDP, okay, the amount, oh, crap, um, this is going to overflow. And this will automatically, you know, lead to um, far higher prices due to the quantity of money going up to that substantial degree. Yeah. Um, and also think about this, right? Is COVID-19 led to closed borders? Yeah. People think this is a demand problem. It's not. Mm. it's a supply problem yeah so by forcefully closing borders you basically stop economic activity and then after you open the economy again and you printed all that money boy you're gonna have you know labor shortages there's not gonna be there's gonna be you know inadequate supply to meet the demand in terms of the loanable you know funds market to provide credit yeah yeah Yeah, like it's all bottlenecks um it's all, all all bottlenecks that's that's um embedded in the economy globally yeah and and it's it's almost closing the borders is kind of um at a economic level quite inefficient like this is like it stops the flow of labor mm-hmm. capital and just like general connections like you know businesses need often need to meet face to face to actually make deals and you know sign contracts and um things like that um and so do governments um but yeah that that whole period which is not necessarily anyone's fault. It's just, you know, obviously the virus, the health implications were far greater. Well, some people, um, like, for example, uh, you know, Victoria University of Wellington Professor Arthur Grimes said that this money printing program, you know, you know L- LSAT, was not needed. Yeah. That yeah. they could have just lowered their rates as they did in 2008 and let fiscal policy deal with it. And another mm. thing that actually contributed to this, um, Dylan, is actually war. Oh yeah, I was gonna touch on that. And, War is and, and unpredictable, right. and it is and yeah, actually very influential. If you, anyone, uh, well, I'm mentioning a lot of names in this podcast, but a uh, uh, Stanford University uh, Hoover fellow, um, Neil Ferguson's done a lot of work connecting economic um, outcomes with conflict, war, and uh, you could say tension between countries. And yep. he's found that actually, whenever there's you know even civil war, there yep. are times when actually inflation spikes up. Yeah. Because governments, what do they need to do? They need money. Yeah. And to get that money, what are they going to ask their central banks to do? Print more money. Yeah, but the money doesn't actually change the what's on the ground, the physical conditions. If 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 no, it doesn't. If, 
the wars going on, that's most of the time very, very um, unproductive activity. No, it is, but, but very like and and yeah, with with more money that that obviously goes into what we're you gotta pay your soldiers, for. right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta pay your yeah. soldiers, and that's why Russia. It's not only Russia, but also obviously the Americans have been, you know, putting a lot of financing for Ukraine. And there's yeah. a lot of connections between economics, politics, and yeah. even conflict studies. Yeah, um, no, there is. And um, I know for a fact that. The vast majority of economists that I admire and also respect, but a lot of them tend to forget the role of war a mm-hmm. lot. They yeah. think like technocrats or quantitative um, uh, quantitative economists that use data or our programs to say, here's a modeling, um, modeling uh, example, and uh, that's what I believe will turn out to be the case. But, yeah. but as we know, you know, you know, John Maynard Keynes said, you know, you know, the world is always uncertain. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I say this out to the public and people who might listen. It's just, we have to contemplate when things completely go out of hand, right? Yeah. Like, for example, like, you know, uh, let's just use a, you know, uh, another okay. metaphor. Yeah, right? let's go. Like, yeah. uh, let's say you are living in a normal family. You're a high school kid. Uh, you have two mom, you know, you, you have mom and dad, right? In the house and maybe you're like a sister, right? You, yeah. You're like a four, four person household. And, you know, if we just think we're going to, you know, live till we're like 100 or whatever. Or, if, you know, things won't go to whack. But maybe the system might, you know, trip over concrete and, you know, break a leg. And then, you know, yeah. boom, you know, medical costs. Or the dad might, um, you know, make a impulsive mistake. And then, boom, there goes the house. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just, yeah. we, it's because human beings are not like robots yeah we're yeah. not homo economists we homo economicus we're homo sapiens yeah and economists in my view have really forgotten that element of human agency human yeah. nature yeah and uh, that's why they you know, you know like you know this dylan you know they I... they forgot they missed the gfc of 2008 completely yeah and and uh good chance more will be missed like I, I, history tends to repeat itself like history is a better indicator history history is history is pretty great um if you can interpret it and if you have time for it um and we should probably yeah hear more about it maybe even specifically in future podcasts but no um so a lot's going on and yeah i think um in the last couple of years the world has seen covid uh, lockdowns border closures and war um in very um yeah you know key areas more than before um and i guess one of the other things that's happening um always gets talked about why are there shortages in everything everyone's asking that um the media it's trying to you know we're trying to figure out where these things are but often most um everyday people we're not going to see it with our eyes where that's all coming from so yeah what do you think um there's, there's a lot of things, right, um, in terms of uh, labor, um, totally um, uh, can see many uh, businesses and organizations struggling to get um, staff, particularly um, talented, you know, skilled staff, labor. And building staff. You know, and yeah, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Specific things, because people don't just pop out of nowhere. I don't know, like, I mean maybe in a future world probably not but people come from somewhere like someone who's going to be working they usually need to live for probably 18 years or whatever it is or 20 something years to be productive um that doesn't 
that takes time. Um, um, like, like I think regarding the the, the the shortage of labor and staff and materials, you know, like it's it's in line with what I said before. Uh, you know, we have artificially closed our borders, so we in the short term shut our supply chain, shut our borders, stop things from coming in, and and so you know then we try to open up. So yeah. you have a massive inflow of supply of like a lot of bottlenecks to the economy, right? And yeah. then you see brain drain problems. We've seen a lot of our friends that are moving over to Australia or yeah. the UK. It's, it, yeah, it, it's, that's, so, that's probably my fault half of the time for making those podcasts <laughs> about right, right. New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But, but at the same time, uh, in the demand side, you know, I don't think we will be in as bad of a mess if we got a monetary policy settings right if we got a fiscal policy right i think if it was more targeted yeah then i don't think we would see this level of discontent among people that own businesses or need staffers or need capital um and and government policy as well right like for example like um i've been mindful of um for instance like you know you know to have a successful economy you need to make sure that demand and supply actually meet we have a shortage of supply and pent up demand. Yeah. So yeah. now, right, the Reserve Bank is actually trying to actually shut down the economy by raking up interest and, rates. And it, there's like some sort of elasticity or something going on. Isn't elasticity it? Which is a demand. concept that some of you probably won't have heard too much about, but. I think you meant supply, not demand, because. You know, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you raising rates can only go so far, sort of thing. Correct. Um, that's the gist of it. Uh, it's a hard word. You can do it so far and it affects certain parts of the economy, but other things, yeah, it can also move on its own. And a lot of these things are going at such high momentum. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how much um, interest rates will continue to go up. Um, when, what, what have you heard on this there? Like, is it, do you think I've heard what end of this year, maybe maybe some of next year there do you think people, it'll continue and continue do you think that's going to be the case look i think you know it's inevitable that central banks need to continue to hike up rates yeah but also the forgotten element that i forgot to say in this in this podcast is that actually debt level matters to this to some degree yeah because government debt obligations depend on central bank interest rates yeah What's going on in Europe, actually? Now, I wanted to talk about the Eurozone. Yeah, it's, it's, Europe is always fun. Yeah, and it also it's Well, it's yeah. not fun. Well, to, to travel to. To but, travel to, it's good. But, but in terms of their uh, macroeconomic setting, it's absolutely hopeless. And, and yeah. I'm not saying this Sorry to derive... Sorry to the Europeans well, out there. We do have some European yeah, listeners. Just, it's, just, it's, it's not, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about their institutional... Yeah. Um, the, the way that the European Central Bank is set up. It's really difficult the, and complex. Yeah, and how it works, but because I'll tell you the, the the European Central Bank has a huge political dilemma. Yeah, the reason is you have Greece, which has a debt level of beyond two hundred percent. Yeah, you have that, uh, that means that means what you mean then is that well, what happens every, if you, how much the country owes the government owes is literally two times how it, much they earn in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the, the annual amount that they produce, they have twice as much of debt 
than how much they produce annually. Imagine how much you earn in one year and yeah. then double so that. This is an experiment that's ongoing, but on a macro level, the Greeks mm. are just chugging along because the European Central Bank are like, well, it's okay, you know, and you have the Spanish that are at about 180. You have the bloody, uh, the Southern Europeans, the other ones, the Italians that are even worse. It's just, and then you have the, Hectic. yeah, you have the <laughs> Greeks that are at about, no, not the Greeks, the Germans that are about 70, 70%. That's pretty high for the Germans. Yeah. It's pretty high because they've been continuing to bail out the Greeks. Yeah. yeah. And you know, this is the problem with We're having a consolidated, you know, monetary union because your fiscal settings and your economic settings are different. Your productivity levels are different. Your demography is all different. And yet they're supposed to have very similar uh, yield yield rates now yield rates is basically you know the interest 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 costs on based on that particular bond um, I know this is, sounds very very technical but to, just to get to the point is that if the European Central Bank continues to rake its rates they could bankrupt Greece and or Spain or Italy and turn the eurozone completely and utterly upside down where you see a meltdown of assets where governments can't pay their uh, debts back and employ unemployment spikes to 30 to or 40 percent that's really worrying for um europe particularly in the southern yeah. european Greek, um, countries greeks uh you um, know sovereign debt crisis in 2011 um the euro crisis led to their unemployment rate going to 25 percent yeah youth it, unemployment is still 80 percent. i right? think it's it's pretty crazy because if since the gfc some of those european countries still yeah. haven't fully recovered yeah. and then this is going to be a big hit and I actually, yeah, it's 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 a bit, yeah, worrying. It's it's the younger people, those in the um, right. age groups or generations around the millennials yeah. and things. They'll go and, to London. You and know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, like like yeah, a lot of the younger people, like people in their twenties and thirties, um, those that never got to get a foothold in any part of the you know economy properly, like whether it's a job or the house. Um, or even, you know, to start a family, like often, um, that, that, that stuff has like, the economy also has a big impact on population and demographic factors, which, yeah, we see a lot, um, of countries, developed countries, um, that, you know, struggling to increase their population by natural means. And in New Zealand, I think, yeah, like over yeah. the recent years, the immigration, immigration yeah. has kind of been the thing that's been building the population up slowly with that gone in the last two years or so like that kind of started that's like a opposite trend um whereas other countries don't really take many immigrants especially places like japan korea um korea a lot of the other developed um highly developed asian countries um and and yeah that 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 is that is a massive trend i think people probably forget this a lot but that will have big impacts um in future years um you got like in countries like new zealand um baby boomers this generation um yeah like heading towards retirement and that's like massive amount of people who will be retiring first of all but then also not not working that should theoretically mean more work opportunities for the younger ones. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's stuff like that going on. Um, uh, I guess um, last couple of years, it's been interesting. I like to use the 
term the coveted economy like everything a lot of things have happened since then so um yeah is there any similarities or differences to when 10 or so years ago or more um we had the gfc and the other stuff like any things that you know people got wrong right well the difference is is that um the COVID economy post 2020 was really caused purposefully by governments. Yeah. Lockdowns, closed borders. And you look at that, I mean, it's unprecedented. Never in, you know, macroeconomic history have governments decided to actually purposely shut down business activity. That's the first thing. Um, the GFC of 2008 was actually caused by, you know, a banking crisis. Yeah. It was caused internally where banks through um you know buying you know complex financial instruments yeah. and products such as you know collaterated debt yes, obligations CDOs, or synthetic uh, collaterated yeah, debt obligations or credit default yeah. swaps yeah. or all these you know i mean these are trillions of dollars worth of things yeah. but you know you can't really mathematically calculate these instruments properly but you know i think i think a lot of the financial institutions made a gamble in this and this bubble yeah through uh the the housing market in the united states turned uh the world economy upside down so the difference is covid was caused by enforced government action yeah the other was caused actually by the mistakes and fraudulent behavior by some of the people in these institutions but, but at the same time yeah the policy responses were very similar yeah no, no one did anything that bucked the trend like you know with with covid um responses yeah we saw at least sweden and a few others they i mean they were like we won't completely close there were a few maybe arguable economic benefits for them um but you know um reserve bank oh, central banks and governments all expanded spending and lowered interest rates no one tried because well, it's like if everyone else yeah. is doing it then yeah like surely it'll work um yeah, that's the sort of thinking that must have been going on and it's like you react to this unexpected event of covid and if everyone's doing this thing surely that's the thing to do i yeah. imagine that's thinking well, it, it's kind of like for example if you have a cold you're yeah. going to take you know antibiotics properly, yeah. right? Yeah. But if you had a heart attack, mm. but if you're like, oh my God, I need to eat something to do, I don't know what's happening. You, you, you know, you, maybe you might try antibiotics. It's something similar. Something similar has been happening yeah. during that course. Like 10 years ago, the same yeah. fiscal and monetary policy. And, and, you know, William White, you know, he's the former uh, BIS chief economist. He defined it as ultra easy monetary policy yeah so we've done ultra easy monetary policy twice yeah. in a row and ironically this is actually leading to more instability yeah. and more uh, inflation and greater risks for our livelihoods in the you know medium to long term yeah i think um yeah it's hard to know um what the um consequences of today's actions will be in the future uh recession um, come 2023 is that are you calling it is it, is it yep. like yeah yeah i think i think a lot of people have been worried about whether this will happen or not but like the thing is um we didn't really get away from COVID unscathed we just had a lot of problems financially um economically um, and politically kind of delayed in a sense i think um 
in the last year or so we've had more wars and things like that and they all like add together unfortunately and like just the tool of interest rates that's that's often good for inflation by itself but for everything you know well, like it's 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 really it's, it's going to be really difficult well, to, to navigate to clarify, this time to actually clarify yeah. interest rate hikes are painful they are extremely they, painful they kill the economy in a lot of ways yeah. or people's sort of you know discretionary discretionary spending as well as businesses and businesses are the ones that employ people in a lot of countries um so yeah it, it will be tough um unfortunately and um i think there's already signs that things are starting to go a certain way um you know some uh businesses companies particularly in places like areas like hospitality and um you know they're all struggling and many are closing so yeah it's uh i guess um interesting times ahead um yeah and, and the other thing is um in the area of housing and property um everyone in new zealand loves talking about it i don't know about your workplace but i don't know do um what do you think might happen there like we've seen some prices go up a lot um during the low interest rates but what's going to happen well there have been economists such as uh you know charles goodhart ken rogoroff that have talked about how for instance like you know how china and the u.s economy have a lot of interconnection right yeah yeah east asian economies have produced have um, pursued this export growth model yeah yeah so they export a lot of uh, goods and services yeah. to the world and at the same time their population saves a lot of money yeah. and that saving pool gets invested into the united states yeah. and other western liberal democracies yeah so what happens is is that they save a lot of money and the westerners spend a lot of money yeah. they get a lot of credit they use that to you know buy property buy this buy that yeah. and you know my view is that actually this low interest rate environment that we saw from the 1990s to the late 2000s yeah was partly caused by you know central bank uh, mismanagement or mm. poor monetary policy but also due to demographic factors and globalization yeah. is is that you know that's what leads to housing boom you know what what you see is actually you know a lot of that pool of money was actually invested in the property market yeah. at the time. And it, was, and it was promoted by governments too. They were like, hey, saying, hey, you know, here's credit. Yeah. Use that credit because we care about your livelihoods and your families. And so you should just use that and get a home. Mm-hmm. And we'll support that. And there was a lot of government policies, of course. There was also globalization and, and U.S.-China relations that helped a lot. Um, but now we're going in the opposite direction mm-hmm. where there's deglobalization, there's war, yeah, yeah. there's bottlenecks, there's building supply shortages. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see all of this uh, put a lot of negative effects on the housing market. And my, my, my view is that actually um, prices are going to gradually go down. Not sure how far though. Yeah, but, and, that's a um, question, right? Million dollar question. But one thing that I'm definitely certain is that uh, we will definitely see the cooling down of um, the housing market all over know? the world. I mean, you know, the, the best way to describe this is uh, the party's over. 
Yeah, yeah. The party's over, and uh, it, you'll see asset markets continue to tumble. We saw the FTX actually, you know, uh, the yeah. the cryptocurrency exchange yeah. company. Um, yeah. You know, it's sort of well known for being endorsed by Tom Brady and Larry yeah. David and all these celebrities. You know, the crypto sector and the blockchain technology area is also seeing a lot of uh, you know bubbles Instability, bursting. Instability, volatility. Yeah, it's ha- it's happening everywhere. You That's know, right. like things that people predicted would never happen like um housing market shrinking and house prices going down that's been happening and it might happen for a while yet um and yeah the um, the cryptocurrency industry is uh, unstable in itself and um yeah we'll see more things coming so i feel like everyone else just wants to know like should I still do or should I start do or should I just do should I do stonks or not you know should I be investing is it safer to buy hold or sell or to just travel the world I don't know what what is the look just just to give one caveat I am not a financial advisor I know we'll we'll, we'll say this this is not proper financial advice but what would you do like just I just like what would um what is someone a typical person at this stage of life you know, working a bit, mid, you know, mid twenties plus or minus. I think is it worth not, not a lot, putting right. putting a bit in the long term and yes, but also enjoying a bit of yeah, like no, not enjoy, like you know what I would do is season. actually like just just think about it, right? Yeah, is like everybody has different choices they yeah. can do whatever they, they want with money they can buy cocaine if they want right you know, no no we don't endorse illegal. that for sure that, i'm being sarcastic i know no, i'm just i'm uh, just uh, just in case but you know as warren buffett says you know you know save your money yeah. don't you know overspend beyond your means yeah. um i don't yeah Keep it simple um you know, I, but 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 invest in S and P five hundred is is a, something that he says a lot. It's pretty safe. Pretty, I mean, you know, there's risk, but you know, it usually tends to do pretty well. Like these market indices, I actually think these days it hasn't been the case in the last five or ten years. But more fixed interest um, investments, they might be a bit more attractive these days. So your term deposits well, depends, depends on whether you're getting real returns. Yeah, or not yeah. Returns. I mean, I think I think with like a lot more volatility. Um, I'd switch at least some of, you know, your portfolios into some of those investments given, um, yeah, like the changing market conditions, but not to say you shouldn't be saving and investing, but just, um, I think, I, I do think, um, you know what the difference between a bear market and bull market is, right? Um, yeah, we're, we're entering the bear market. We are entering, we're in the midst of like, yeah. yeah, the first year or two, I think. And these things tend to happen for a while, you know? A bull market is when things generally go up in price. Yeah. Like bear market is things go down, but then sometimes they go up a bit. And Look, it's inevitable. Bit. Like but, Dylan, I, I'll yeah, say this. You know, yeah. it's it's inevitable because I mean, you know, that if if you look at economic history over yeah. the last eighty years, whenever unemployment went below four percent, yeah, and inflation levels went above four percent, there was always a recession. Yeah. In the following eighteen months. Yeah. So that's kind of what's happened in last while, and so. We're about to see what the next 18 months will look like. Um, but all yeah. I can say is buckle up because uh, things are not going to be pretty. And, um, you know, there's geopolitical tensions. Yeah. There is uh, obviously an ongoing pandemic. Um, there are fiscal challenges. There are, you know, monetary policy challenges. And, you know, the, the Fed are in a very difficult position. They, I mean, this is what I call a debt, debt trap. 
where governments are so indebted where if you increase rates, you might see the risk of your government defaulting. That could crash the entire economy. Well, yeah. But if you don't increase the rates, you might not curb inflation. And that could have really bad consequences. And that can also people. have very bad consequences in the long term. So, you know, my my preferred option is actually to have moderate inflation of around 8 <laughs> Uh, it sounds it sounds crazy these days because we've been living yeah. in like a few percent in you know well, last decade or whatever. Not gonna but, be. We're not gonna get back to that period of but, uh, the prior two thousand and nineteen economy where everything was at least in yeah. some sense but stable. With with um a higher rate of transient inflation, let's say five percent. I don't know. That's not the right terms, but you know, like you know, like people getting used to things going up in price yeah. in general between five to ten percent each year i i like to think of it this way um you know when you probably hear a lot about global warming climate change say when the when they warn that you don't want to have a global average temperature increase up two degrees you know over the earth that's very simplistic term but what that actually means in the climate sense is that some places got by five to ten degrees some places go down by a little bit and some go you know up by one degrees in in a inflation of five to 10% environment, more things will go up a lot, say fuel or things and other things might not go. So there's more volatility in terms of prices. You know what I mean? Um, When the average increases, uh, a lot of uh, other things move around that. Um, So essentially in the next decade or so, I mean, no, no solid predictions, but although, yeah, like, um, there'll just be, you know, like a lot of, um, things changing probably um you know over the world um more of a bear market state and you can't just sit back and relax and not everything will completely take care of itself and kind of but it's still worth taking risks calculated ones at this time um depending on who you are and what you want in life yeah, and uh, so um, on that note, I'd just like to thank you so much for taking the calculated risk of listening to this podcast, just to wrap it all up. Um, I know that um, talking about economics isn't probably some, something that everyone does all the time while listening to podcasts like this, but I hope that that was something interesting to um, add to your daily um, commute or daily lie around um, and listen to Chillin' with Dylan podcasts. Um, period. So yeah, um, hope you learned a lot and enjoyed this um, podcast. And thanks so much, Leo, for joining us. Uh, it's been fun uh, and uh, very, very informative. Again, well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've listened to another episode of Chillin' with Done. <laughs> Cheers.